1: Fox News Radio Studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much
0: for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, Bill Cassidy Center. Bill Cassidy's going to be with us shortly. Not only is it great to have him, talking about the infrastructure bipartisan deal, the other one that could be jammed down our throats. He's also a doctor, and we've got to talk to him about his take on the latest mandate mania that we're, visit- we're witnessing right now. And Arthur Herman will be with us. He's got a great message. You know he's an esteemed historian, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, but his book is fantastic and timely. It's called The Viking Heart, How Scandinavians Conquered the World, but the role it played in forming the attitude of America, and are we losing it? So let's get to the big three
1: now with the stories you need to know it's brian's big three sponsored by fabric the easiest way to get affordable life insurance learn how to protect your family against the unexpected at meetfabriccom slash brian
2: number three they haven't done a single thing to slow the flow a vast amount of uh, illegal aliens from all the world are being released in our country every day with covid And that's a fact. They cannot run from this. That's a fact. And they can't hide from it.
0: Insanity. It's the only way to explain how the Biden administration thinks it's okay to let over a million illegals into our nation. Thousands have COVID-19. And stunningly, despite the uh, the deterrence, like the heat of the summer, they still steam in and invade our nation.
2: Number two.
3: I never touched anyone inappropriately or made inappropriate sexual advances. Politics? and bias are interwoven throughout every aspect of this situation.
0: Oh, my God, is that pathetic? He's alone and abandoned. Cuomo's long humiliating goodbye could be a lot shorter. It's the scandal-ridden New York governor. He's not only going down in flames, he might be taking his anchor brother down with him. How the most arrogant man in America, self-destructed, and why his ego won't let him go now.
4: Number one.
3: I say to these governors, please help. But you aren't going to help. At least
4: get out of the way. Joe Biden suggests that if you don't do lockdown policies, then you should, quote, get out of the way. But let me tell you this. If you're coming after the rights of parents in Florida, I'm standing in your way.
0: Uh, That is uh, a war. Uh, DeSantis versus Biden. Since the administration can't handle the Delta, uh, the variant, why not take on DeSantis, the Democratic destroyer? As we look at the nationwide attack on the unvaccinated. Joining us now, a man who uh actually thrived in the medical profession before he decided to become a politician maybe questions at senator bill cassidy welcome back
5: hey how are you brian killed me thanks for having me man
0: no problem Senator. and i will tell you can i just tap into your medical background your take on the delta variant uh there is a rise in kid cases no question But the the decision on the administration to declare war on governors that don't agree with them and the unvaccinated that are still on the fence befuddles me. It
5: does befuddle me. The fact is that every governor, uh, chief executive of his state, her state, has got to make a decision that balances the public health aspects. We've had increased numbers of people dying from opioid overdoses because of social isolation. So it isn't just that we got to, on the one hand, address COVID. We have to, on the other hand, address the issues like uh, social isolation, opioid overdoses, children not getting educated for an entire year, and now maybe two years. So let the governors who are in charge make those decisions for their state.
0: How do you feel about the Delta variant today and how it might affect uh, the way you handle your life? You're vaccinated, I imagine?
5: I am vaccinated. I've been previously infected. Uh, but I can still get infected with COVID. And so that's the kind of thing about this virus. The more people that are vaccinated, the more we protect each other, the less any one person gets infected. Now, by the way, you and I both know, Brian, if you've been, the people who are dying, 99.5% are the unvaccinated. The people being hospitalized overwhelmingly are the unvaccinated. So the doc, I would say, I don't want you to die. I don't want you in the hospital. Get vaccinated,
0: right? Uh, you, are you, you're a doctor. I, I, you know, I no offense. I know I'm powerful, but I should not be giving medical advice. Do you agree with that? <laughs> I, I,
5: I think that's good advice. On the other hand, I will say that some things are like self-evident. Look both ways when you cross the street. Um, you know, uh, don't um, you know if somebody's waving a gun, go the other direction. Uh, and getting vaccinated is one of those kind of things that. A person with common sense can say, even if they don't have a medical or a nursing degree.
0: Right. I, I will say I am, but I also know this uh, micro uh, myocondria that affected a good friend of mine's kid at 17 years old when he had no previous uh, problems, and now he's, uh, he's out of soccer uh, for at least six months. And if he took my advice and he did that, I'm not prepared to do what you do for a living.
5: Yeah, so you're talking about the myocarditis. Yeah, so there are some young people, young males, it seems, that are affected. Um, um, but one thing that is clear, that that's younger males. If you're 30 and above, 25 and above, um, that the, even 17 and above, the risk of that is extremely rare. On the other hand, there are uh, there are more people in their 30s and 40s who are being hospitalized and dying from the Delta variant than previously because it is more infectious. And they are be they are being infected, and so uh and aside from the ability to therefore spread it to other people as well, my hometown by the way, Baton Rouge, now they're not admitting people from motorcycle accidents or they' they're staying in the e r with a with a broken leg because all the i c u beds are filled up with covid patients it's beginning to kind of ripple through our health care for everybody else
0: so yeah in Florida uh yeah, Florida is having similar ta- challenges. So I want to talk to you about this bipartisan bill you are a part of uh, and leading the way, Senator Portman uh, as well. We see a lot of you guys. Yesterday, I understand, it's about a trillion dollars, 500, uh, I guess you're repurposing money, about a $560 billion of new money. Yesterday, 250 proposed amendments on this legislature, 300, 300 amendments were filed. What is this what you expected Do you think there's sincere amendments or people that just want to stop it from passing?
5: Um, I think most of them are sincere amendments, and they won't all be heard. But a lot of them are really good amendments. John Cornyn had an amendment saying, listen, if states have leftover uh, COVID money uh, and there's a deadline to spend it, don't force them to spend it on something they don't need. Let them repurpose it as an additional fund for infrastructure. That makes all the sense in the world. Uh, another is that in Central Louisiana, uh, they've long desired to have an East-West Interstate connecting Fort Hood in Texas, Fort Polk, Louisiana, Fort Benning in Georgia. Economic development, good for national security. We're not funding it. We're just saying if you wish to build it in the future, you have the right to. That's a good amendment. Doesn't cost anything. Actually, works out very well. So we we think that this is um, uh, most of the amendments are sincere amendments that actually make it
0: a little bit better. So Senator Lee proposed a 126-page substitute amendment that would have repealed the so-called Davis-Bacon wage requirements requiring federal contractors to pay laborers. Uh, It also would cut the federal gas tax by more than 11 cents a gallon. Uh, Senators on both sides of the aisle teamed up to defeat that amendment by resounding uh, 20 to 78. So there are some amendments. Uh, Senator Lee's a big critic of it.
5: Yeah, Senator Lee... Uh, frankly, doesn't think we should finance building roads and highways. Everybody wants to be against the debt and deficit. Everybody wants people who use something to help kind of pay for it. Uh, by the way, we're not putting new gas taxes out there. This is just the one we already have. But Senator Lee either doesn't want to build roads and highways and bridges or he wants to increase the debt and deficit to do that. I like Mike, but we had to make a decision. Either we're going to replace broken down bridges, uh, build new ones, have rural broadband, or we're just going to and if and, you know pay for it, or else we don't have it, or else we borrow money from China to pay for it. Um, and I just disagree with them. I think we should be fiscally responsible.
0: Uh, Senator Cassidy, our guest here's Mike Lee. Last night, it doesn't, Laura. That's the thing. This this bill is a massive inflation
6: bomb being dropped on an already carpet bombed economy. It can't take any more government. We've been pumping the government. So, full of money and that into the economy that it's causing the dollar to lose its value. This bill is sort of a reverse Robin Hood. It's stealing from the poor to give to the rich. There are a small handful of very well connected wealthy interests who will get richer off of this bill. But everybody else will get poorer as we inflate the dollar. That's not fair to hardworking Americans. It's bad for Utahs. It's bad for all Americans
0: everywhere. So, I So he feels as though we're spending so much, and this would just add to that, I guess, the timing's wrong. Just
5: about everything he said is wrong. Uh, Mike's a lawyer, and lawyers are often very confident in what they say, but he's speaking of things he does not know about. Uh, And I like him, but let's just be honest about it. If you speak to the economists, conservative economists, they say because this is infrastructure spending, and the payback from a new bridge will be 30 to 40 to 50 to 60 years— and because most of the spending will occur two to three to four years from now, because that's how long it takes to permit things, then, um, then the, the, it will not have the inflationary effect. That's economists, not an attorney, uh, period, end of story. And the second thing, as regards the people getting rich, you know, the people are going to get rich. There's going to be so many jobs created. Think of the construction worker who right now is not doing as well. He's going to have a better job. And if somebody is a construction company owner, she's going to make more money. By golly, I thought that was the American way. You work hard, you take a risk, you put together a business plan, and you make a little extra money. But it's not like anybody else is going to get richer. It's just the people who actually own the company, do the work, and create the jobs. So there's a lot in there that is kind of designed to scare. But if you move beyond the rhetoric, there's nothing there. What is there? There's lots of jobs for working Americans. By the way, I speak to Fox, um, Fox News fans. They love it because they're stuck in traffic going to their job at a refinery uh, hour and a half every day to and from work. And this will cut their commute time. They love it.
0: Senator, the other thing that must bother you and Portman and Lindsey Graham and uh, Mitt Romney is that everything you're negotiating out, they're going to turn around and put into a reconciliation package the next day or the day. And you're going to say, wait a second, I've been working for, what, three months on this? And now you're going to turn around and just jam this down America, not even your throat, Senator, but America's throat. Does that bother you in the so-called reconciliation bill that looms?
5: So, 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 Brian, there's a clear distinction between the $3.5 trillion tax and spend extravaganza. Right. The bill that Bernie Sanders is writing. That you would never sign on to. Every Republican, and this one most certainly, is going to vote against. There is a clear difference between the two, um, and they are not linked. And the reason that Pelosi keeps saying she's going to try and link them is because she doesn't think she has the votes for the $3.5 trillion, and she knows that this bill is popular. So, in fact, I think the better logic is, that if we pass infrastructure, that, that it makes it less likely they, they pass the $3.5 trillion extravaganza. So um, uh, I think this is good for the American economy, the American worker, creating jobs. But I also think it makes it less likely they pass their extravaganza.
0: Well, I will say this. The, one, the, the point on your side is President Trump wanted a bigger deal than this. I mean, there's a lot of environmental things here that get me nervous that it's agenda-driven instead of America-driven. Um, but you can't get everything you want in a truly compromised bill.
5: Yes, he wanted—President Trump wanted a $1.5 trillion. We get $5 billion new dollars. He wanted $1.5 trillion, and he had only 5 percent of his paid for, and we have, um, uh, we have, um, we have it paid for. They may argue with them, but people of good faith would look at it and say, yeah, that's a reasonable pay for, uh, whereas his only had 5 percent pay for. So I feel like we are, um, uh, you know, we're, we're so in line with where President Trump was in terms of building out infrastructure and creating those jobs.
0: So so lastly, remember the shovel ready projects that we thought were ready in 2008 when the economy crashed and wanted to put money in the system almost to make work program and they could not get it out. Of, of, uh, of the blocks because there's so much regulations involved. What have you built into this to let these cities and states build the bridges and roads quickly or efficiently?
5: Oh, Brian, that's one of the best things about it. There's so many good things, but we're taking pilot projects that have been shown to decrease permitting time from six years to two and a half years, and we're making it universal. And so... so so, on average, six years now, two and a half years because of the reforms in this bill. And and more money going to create jobs, to lay concrete, to turn over dirt, and less money going to bureaucrats and attorneys. Maybe that's why Mike Lee's upset. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Because um, uh, more money's going to the worker, and that's a good thing.
0: But getting rid of regulations?
5: Um, getting rid of regulations, but also making the agencies work together. Because right now the agencies can, you know, okay, I finished with it. I'll send it over to you. Uh, it's going to sit at the bottom of the stack and work its way up. Uh, oh, then I'll send it back. No, now they all have to get together and in a coordinated fashion sign off. If I've got an objection, the, mm-hmm. other, the other guy looks at it and says, no, this is okay. And so it's not quite the one decision that the Trump administration had out there, but it approaches right. it. And again, cuts cuts, and pilot projects permitting time from six years to two and a half years on average.
0: And Senator, I know what you hope for, but what do you predict is going to happen with this bill?
5: Uh, we'll pass it in the Senate uh, probably this weekend. Uh, Pelosi is going to try and use it to leverage her guys on the House to vote for the $3.5 trillion. But, you know, as one of them told me, um, infrastructure is desert. That $3.5 trillion is the spinach. So if you give me my dessert, why am I going to eat the spinach? Uh, it's not what the American people want. It's not what I want. I want infrastructure. Give me infrastructure. And so, so this is the dessert. And I think it will eventually pass the House and be signed into law by the president.
0: Senator Bill Cassidy, we know that we should be eating the spinach, though, but not in this case. Senator Bill Cassidy, thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Brian. All right. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Back with your calls in just a moment. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
7: Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today.
0: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now, Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path.
1: Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: My colleagues in the assembly want to push for immediate impeachment if the governor does not step down, and I believe it will take it will take shape in the next few days. He broke the law. The top prosecutor in the state of New Yorks had claimed that he broke federal and state laws. We have, as a legislative body, an ethical and legal duty to remove him from his position of power. I can confidently say there are no.
10: His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're
9: here, we hope you subscribe
10: to the podcast,
9: like, subscribe, and share.
8: Old Democrats at the local, state, or federal level who would, who are supporting or will stand with this governor.
0: Can you imagine this? The most popular governor uh, among Democrats a year ago is the most unpopular and scandal-ridden in my lifetime. In my lifetime. Usually if people have one scandal, oh, they, they do this wrong, they do that wrong. How do they shake it? But this guy's got multiple scandals and he's too arrogant. And uh, not self-aware to realize it And that is a Democrat speaking of That is Congressman Assemblyman Ron Kim We know about him He tried to intimidate Ron Kim to stop coming out against him Because a relative died in a nursing home And then he made that public along with the tapes And that helped Janice Dean and everybody else Enlighten others that uh, it's not a Democrat or Republican thing And now we find out that all 11 women are credible They fire a 175-page report Verifying their stories This guy is a, a serial abuser And he still stays in the job. Now you got four separate counties is uh, looking for legal action against him. But yet he still stays in power. Sooner or later, hopefully by the end of the month, he is gone. But the damage he can do in the interim by putting us under lock and key with lockdowns again, we've seen him do it before. That's in New York. Brian Kilmeade.
7: Fox Nation presents Podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak.
11: I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts.
1: From his mouth to your ears, ears, it's Brian
9: Kilmeade. You want to talk about a COVID disaster, the bright blue states, New York, New Jersey were disastrous. On the other hand, Joe Biden and the Democrats hate red states like Texas and Florida that we reopened, that our economy is booming, that we, we let our kids go back to school, we let small businesses open up. and And, and there's a reason people are fleeing the blue states and coming to the red mm-hmm. states because we protect people's freedoms.
0: That's what it's about. Freedom, not total protection. It's the wrong attitude. Arthur Herman writes about that. He's senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, New York Times bestseller multiple times, author of the brand new book, The Viking Heart, How Scandinavians Conquered the World. Arthur, welcome back. Congratulations.
12: Hey, thank you, Brian. It's great to be back.
0: Arthur, this this whole pandemic and the way we reacted to it really prompted you to go and look into the Vikings, their heritage and the role it played in America. Why?
12: Well, I I think that it's very important for us to understand a couple of things about where this story, the story of the Vikings, and we're always fascinated by the Vikings, where it really connects in with our own experiences today and also with our own heritage because – Uh, So many Americans have a Scandinavian-American heritage. I do. Uh, Both of my mother's parents came over from Norway. I have a great-great-grandfather who came from Norway, fought in the Civil War, and was wounded, as a matter of fact, fighting on the Union side. Uh, that they had this enormous contribution uh, to make to the shaping of America, but also that the, that, that the Viking experience, we can draw certain lessons which are very powerful, I think, today in dealing with the world that we're in right now. And that's really what I wanted this book to be, is to be a kind of historical survival guide in the age of COVID, in the age of critical race theory, uh, in the age of high tech, and all the other kinds of confusions and disruptions we deal with. We need to have a strong cultural skill set to deal with. And that's what the Vikings and I believe I believe their, their Scandinavian descendants who came to America really can
0: provide for us. Who first off, who are the Vikings and we know they're from Scandinavia. What what are they what's their role in America? Well, the role in
12: America is, hey, they were here before Christopher Columbus, so I'm sorry for for the Italian Americans to have to been scooped on that, uh, with regard to Columbus. Um, yeah, they came to uh, came to the shores of North America as part of a series of ex- exploration voyages, and settlements that they built, spreading west from their original ham- homeland. You know, which is Norway and uh, Denmark and Sweden. Uh, to Iceland and then to Greenland and then finally, finally landing on the coast of Newfoundland. Uh, and the man who usually gets credit for this, Leif Erikson, remains a national Norwegian hero. My grandmother was always celebrating, you know, Leif Erikson Day, uh, as part of her Norwegian heritage. But it's also important to realize that the Vikings, and as I explain this in the book, that they were not just sort of plunderers and pillagers. The picture we usually get, the stereotype we get from TV series and from movies and, uh, and 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 popular novels, they were also I mean, yes, they, they could be incredibly brutal uh, in an age the dark ages of Europe when uh, <laughs> standards moral standards and ethical standards were kind of low when it came to that kind of a thing but they were also traders, they were also explorers, they were also looking for ways to bring back the goods that would help to build a strong community and build wealth in their own uh environment which was of course you know incredibly inhospitable, uh, terrible winters, very meager resources, small amounts of arable land available for a growing population. And what we see is, and as I explain in the book, they are in many ways the precursors for globalization. They build the great trade routes that extend across Eastern Europe, down to the Middle East, across the the North Sea to the British Isles, and then around through to the Mediterranean, and then to the Atlantic, across the Atlantic Ocean. These are the trade routes that, that Europe... And modern globalization all still rely on, and the the Vikings were the great precursors in in these seaborne connections that bind the world together. They
0: didn't fear risk. It was part of their life. And you said it wasn't important for them to win every battle, just the last battle. That mindset you say is missing from America today.
12: I think it is, and I think what we've we've gotten used to is we've become such a risk-averse society that the idea – and look at what's happening with COVID, right? I mean – The world is filled with a a range of risks from automobile accidents to to crime, uh, to uh, natural disasters. And up until now, I think everyone has accepted, yes, you need to vaccinate, you need to take the actions necessary to prevent the spread of a pandemic. You know, Brian, this last year when I was at the National Security Council, I got to spend time with General Perna and the Operation Warp Speed people and really see the kind of dedication and commitment that they had to getting those vaccines out in time and getting those to as many people as they as they possibly could. It was really an inspiring thing, and and good for me, Brian. I got to tell you, to know that my previous book, Freedom's Forge, uh, about uh, American mobilization, World War II, played a big part in helping to uh, to inspire that Operation Warp Speed. But what you realize is is that is that today what what's happened is there's this sort of movement to try and uh, and to get uh, that we can't nothing can happen but turn to normal until the virus is completely eradicated and that's totally totally unrealistic uh, it flies in the face of our previous experience with a range of, of epidemic diseases, um, and it also, I think, too, has affected the way in which we think about the other risks that go uh, with modern life. One of the things I want to say about the Vikings, Brian, is they are the the story of the Vikings, the lessons to learn from the Vikings, is the antidote to an entitlement culture. The Vikings never thought of themselves as victims. They never thought of themselves as entitled to, uh, to success or to prosperity. It was something you had to work for. It was something you had to fight for. It was something in which you had to bring in which hard work and a sense of strong community because in that environment, in that environment, survival depended upon group survival. You couldn't do it alone. But at the same time, it was recognized that individuals had to be able to go out to risk it all in order to bring back and to find the connections that would that would make the group stronger and bring prosperity here. And, and those are the kinds of things that if you look at the history of our Scandinavian Americans, right. as I describe in the second half of the book, you see a lot of those same Uh, themes, a lot of that same cultural skill set carried over to America. That's true,
0: but they had no choice. Uh, They were in the Dark Ages, they escaped, and they want to go somewhere else. And and, And the detail in which we know now that you bring out in your book is phenomenal. But they had no choice. How do you breed this generation of Americans to be as rough and tumble as the first, or the second generation of Americans, when circumstances won't allow it? It almost has to be forced.
12: Well, I think it has to be forced, but I think you also have to offer the choice. And I think what's happened in our school systems and in our in our cultural institutions, and I'm including social media in here, which I think has been a really toxic influence with regard to spreading the idea that uh, that the that the way in which to way in which to survive and, pro- and prosper in America is to find yourself to be a victim some way or other, um, and it's bred a kind of passivity, it's bred a sense of entitlement here, and it has to be something. That pushes back not just in the schools, but from family and from community. And you know what? We're seeing that Brian, with the pushback against critical race theory, we're seeing that already developing here, and a realization that our children, our nation, can't uh, can't survive unless we have some sense of individuals taking responsibility for their actions, being willing to engage in a degree of risk uh, in order to in order to bring uh, prosperity to yourself and to your family and to your community, but also that solidarity doesn't count won't work unless there's also shared cultural values. How do we know we so much about this
0: Arthur Herman, my guest now name of his book, You Gotta Go Get It, The Viking Heart, How Scandinavians Conquered the World. Arthur, how do we know so much about a that a group of people that lived in 1740? Did they know, they, did they do a good job chronicling their ventures?
12: Well, not really. I mean, this is one of the extraordinary things. It's very much, the Viking culture is very much an oral culture. And so you don't have, you know, extensive written, written records. What you do have are the Norse sagas. And i got to tell you, I would tell your readers uh, after reading my book that the next thing to do is to check out the Icelandic sagas, which were written about 200 years after the, the height of the Viking Age, but really radiate that experience of what it was like for ordinary people living at that time, the choices that they made. Uh, the, again, the cultural skill set that I've talked about, they're really Quite interesting reads and, and quite uh, and, and quite engaging as medieval literature goes. It's probably the top of the of the of the readable list that you've got. But as I also point out in the Viking Heart, we now have other ways to understand the Viking experience in the world of the Vikings. One is archaeology. We do a lot more archaeological today work today, which is much more sophisticated in its tools uh, and what we bring to bear in terms of understanding Viking sites and coin. And all the other uh, ways in which we're in grave sites who are able to really understand and, and mm-hmm. grasp what it was like to live and to and to and to be part of a world that's otherwise completely vanished in dark age Europe. And, do a, and little have, topic,
0: the, a little off we topic, a little off topic, Arthur, just, are you yeah. convinced they were here in North America first?
12: Uh, there's there's no doubt, and now the archaeological evidence since the 1960s confirms that. Number two, um,
0: number two. Uh, how did they g- get along with the American Indian? It's not really
12: clear, um, because the uh, what we get from the uh, the written accounts in the saga of Eric the Red and the saga of the, uh, the Vinland sagas doesn't really talk very much about the Native Americans. Probably relations went. Uh, uh, back and forth between hot and cold it was probably trade and exchange, but followed by hostile confrontations. Uh, it's not unusual in that age and date, and it's not unusual for the Vikings to go from fighting to trading. You know, in a in a matter of days or hours, we do know that the settlement probably was not a permanent one. The what what it's what the archaeological remains in Newfoundland exposes is, in a, in a sense, a, a wintering station where uh, travelers from Greenland would go, probably harvesting timber to bring back to Greenland, which had a shortage of of forest land for timber for ships, buildings, and and house buildings, uh, and then would stay over through the winter until they could get back uh, during the spring. Um, But there is still an archaeological mystery. And that is, is that Vinland itself, the one that's described in the sagas, and that seems to have been a permanent, a permanent settlement, uh, from all the written evidence about the about the, the Viking presence in North America. That site is still eludes us. Um, there have been there have been uh, phony attempts to identify it in Rhode Island or Massachusetts, but that's the one great. I would say archaeological discovery that still awaits everybody is what happened where was vinland and what happened to the community
0: why did we not know more about north america from the vikings voyages and why was everything so new when columbus set out and he obviously didn't know where he was why was this kept quiet well i think it was not so much of a kept quiet as
12: it was that the the world in which columbus Operated was one in which the, the 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 Norse sagas were virtually unknown. You know they were they were written by Icelandic uh, Asland, scholars and poets. Uh, They were written in a language, Old Norse, which the Mediterranean civilization that Columbus grew up in and that he was part of uh, had no knowledge of. Now, in my book, How the Scots Invented the Modern World, I do talk about Columbus's knowledge of voyages deep into the Atlantic that – uh, I'm sorry, in the To Rule the Waves, not the Haviskots, the To Rule the Waves, voyages that English merchants and English explorers had taken into the Atlantic. He knew about those. You know, he tried to, in fact, get King Henry the Seventh of England to back his voyages. Henry said no, so he went to Spain instead. But it is a, uh, it, it, it's a, the, the archaeology backs it up, uh, and we know from the extensive settlements in Greenland that there was a permanent uh, Viking colony there, at least until at least until the 1400s.
0: And now Trump wanted to buy it back, couldn't get the deal done. Uh, Arthur, thanks so much. Congratulations on the book, The Viking Heart, How Scandinavians Conquered the World, and the lessons we can get, is my words, not in your subtitle, uh, in America today. We've got to get back to that Viking heart. Arthur, thank you. Congratulations.
12: Thanks a lot, Brian. Right. Talk to you
0: soon. You got it. one 408 I'll be back to wrap things up and talk about Governor Cuomo and how he expects to survive and how I know he's wrong.
1: Can't get enough of Brian? Come see him live on stage with Dana Perino for an evening of laughs and lively conversation. Laughter, life, and the joy of liberty. Saturday, September 25th at the Paramount Theater in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Go to briankillme.com to get your
7: tickets now. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one on one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
1: A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: I've sought out constitutional scholars to determine what is the best possibility that would come from executive action or the CDC's judgment. What could they do that was most likely to pass muster constitutionally? The bulk of the constitutional scholarship says that it's not likely to pass constitutional muster, number one. But there are several key scholars who think that it may, and it's worth the effort.
0: Is this unbelievable? So he is having an eviction moratorium extension, even though they said after July 31st the Supreme Court and written remarks by Judge Justice Kavanaugh that, listen, there's no reason to keep doing this. Why? Because landlords got to get paid. Landlords got to answer to their banks. Landlords aren't rich. Uh, the eviction notices have extended way too long. And as much as your heart goes out to anyone who can't pay their bills, we just can't do that as a country. Just say no more rent, no more mortgages. We're not going to pay student loans. We're not going to do anything. We're going to pay you too much not to work. So you never go to work. We're going to give you the supplemental on top of unemployment. So you have an eviction moratorium for people who make under $199,000 as a couple and then you have landlords who are barely getting by because, in many cases, they're small business people who decide that's what they're going to do for a living, or they own they own apartment buildings and they have property managers. What's good to have a property manager if he can't collect any rent? How are you going to pay him or her? It makes no sense. You can't do it. You're disrupting the whole chain of events. The free market system. There are other systems out there that pay your rent, supply this, uh supply your uh, uh, utilities. Not in America. There are there are projects. Absolutely, There are low. Income housing, understood. But if you do that for a country, you can't possibly exist. And by the way, landlords are people too. Does that matter?
4: Cut 45. To date, uh, uh, the CDC director and her team have been unable to find legal authority, even for a more targeted eviction moratorium that would focus just on counties with higher rates. Of, of of COVID spread. This is a president who really understands the heartbreak of eviction. He is th- the reason why he is pressing and pressing, even when legal authority looks slim, is because he wants to make sure we have explored every potential authority.
0: Legislate it, don't executive order it. That's it, and take a lead on it if you feel that strongly on it. Call some Republicans and try to sell them on it. But again, just trying to just trying to muscle your way through and ignore the courts. Don't worry. We'll just make the courts bigger until they're all Democrats. He's terrible. Absolutely awful. Getting a total pass. Approval ratings dropping. Look out, Democrats.
7: Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details.
1: Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
0: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, We have a lot of exciting news to announce, including uh, joining us now from Peoria, Illinois. We're lucky to have in the uh, family WP. Uh, PBG, um, sorry about that W yeah, WPBG in Peoria, Illinois Their station slogan is Freedom 95.5 Conservative Talk Radio Are now carrying the show, we appreciate that And over in Pendleton, Oregon We now are lucky to have an affiliate KUMA uh, 1290 Their slogan, News Radio 96.5, 1290 KUMA um, So we're very privileged to be in those great communities Two new stations uh, Come one, come all So let's get to Uh, The big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. They haven't done a single thing to slow the flow. A vast amount of uh, illegal aliens from all the world are being released in our country every day with COVID. And that's a fact. They cannot run from this. That's a fact. And they can't hide from it.
0: Uh, Man, Tom Holman's beside himself Former ICE director Insanity It's the only way to explain how The Biden administration thinks it's okay To let over a million illegals into our nation Thousands have COVID-19 And stunningly, despite the deterrence Like heat of the summer They still stream in and invade our nation And he does little to nothing Except look the other way
2: Number two
3: I never touched anyone inappropriately Or made inappropriate sexual advances Politics and bias are interwoven throughout every aspect of this situation.
0: Oh, so pathetic. Alone and abandoned. Governor Cuomo's long humiliating goodbye could be a lot shorter as the scandal-ridden governor is not only going down in flames, he might be taking his anchor brother down with him. How the most arrogant man in America, self-destructed, and why his ego won't let him go.
3: Number one. I say to these governors, please help. But you aren't going to help at least get out of the way.
4: Joe Biden suggests that if you don't do lockdown policies, then you should, quote, get out of the way. But let me tell you this. If you're coming after the rights of parents in Florida, I'm standing in your way.
0: Uh, that has always been Ron DeSantis's way. DeSantis versus Biden. Since the administration can't handle the Delta, the variant, why not take on DeSantis, the Democratic destroyer? As we look at the nationwide attack, on the unvaccinated with me right now is Senator Ron Johnson. Senator, welcome back.
13: Good morning, Brian. I hope you're doing well.
0: I'm doing well. Uh, I know it was great talking to you uh, last week on television. Uh, last Friday, we, I was able to fill in for Laura. I got to ask you about this. It seems like this administration has to have an enemy. Now it's unvaccinated and now it's Texas and Florida. They want to take on these governors and say, how dare you? As if there, was there. The Delta variant was their idea. Well, in spite of what uh,
13: President Biden said in his inaugural, how his number one focus was to unify and heal this nation, he's done the exact opposite. And that, that's really the political tactics of the left: divide and conquer. Uh, they're doing nothing to unify and heal this nation. They, they are exacerbating the divide with, uh, you know, critical race theory. Uh, you know, certainly by uh, talking about how America is a systemically racist country. Uh, by opening up our borders. Um, no, they are they are divisive individuals, and that's just uh, tragic.
0: It is. Uh, one other thing i got to ask you is on this bipartisan infrastructure bill, you saw about 200 amendments yesterday. Are, are you on board with this at all? Some have pointed out the fact that Donald Trump's infrastructure bill was bigger.
13: Listen, everybody realizes we have to invest in infrastructure. I, I'm not on board with what's happening right now because there was a way of paying for, you know, about $700 billion of of infrastructure without further mortgaging our kids' future. It was simply take the $700 billion that wasn't COVID relief in the $1.9 trillion 100% partisan COVID relief package that's not even spent till 2022 through 2028. So repurpose that money infrastructure. That should have been the Republican position from day one. We should have stayed on that position. It would have been politically popular, and we would have been negotiating from a position of strength. But instead, what happens is we get little gangs. They go into a little room. They end up writing a 2,700-page bill. They drop that on us and give us a few amendments Both say we've got an open process, and, and walk away having given Democrats the opportunity to fill that hole in the $3.5 trillion Bernie budget with more entitlement programs that they'll only score over a couple of years, knowing that those programs will never end and they'll cost a whole lot more than the $3.5 trillion.
0: So if it wasn't for the reconciliation package, you'd be more open to it, the reconciliation that will follow almost the same day?
13: Yeah, because they're not separate. It is is tied up in, in one great big package. Nancy Pelosi has said that. So, no, I mean, again, if we would have – if we're paying for infrastructure with that COVID relief money that isn't even spent beyond – until beyond 2022, I'd be all for it. But that's not what's happening. This thing's not fully paid for. They said it was fully paid for. It's not. It's a bunch of smoke and mirrors. It's the same old budget gimmicks we see time and time again. And, again, it's it's, it's unfortunate that we have Republicans – uh, cooperating with uh, basically Bernie, uh, Bernie Sanders, and and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. It's just unfortunate. So we've seen
0: these 10 cities pop up in these small cities in Texas and around the border. We have um, seven thousand uh, illegals that have come through to McAllen. I think uh, uh, 1,200 have tested positive for the COVID nineteen virus. We're testing them. We're offering vaccines to them. Here is uh, here's what Tom Holman said about what's happening at the border. Cut forty one.
2: They're continuing to manage the optics of this crisis rather than managing the crisis. They think that releasing people quicker and processing them quicker is a success. It's just another enticement. People around the world are watching what happens. You cross the border. This administration has work really hard and really fast to release you into our communities, buy your bus ticket, buy your plane ticket. They haven't done a single thing to slow the flow. A vast amount of uh, illegal aliens from all the world are being released in our country every day with COVID. And that's a fact. While the northern border remains closed, while you and I are being asked to remask and and knock on our doors for vaccination uh, check, they're releasing COVID cases every day across this country, buying a plane ticket or bus ticket to our communities. They cannot run from this. That's a fact. And they can't hide from it.
0: So on Wednesday, uh, you put together, you wanted an amendment uh, to secure the border. How did that go?
13: Well, it, it was defeated on party-line partisan vote. Only Joe Manchin joined with Republicans to just build the wall. We've already bought and paid for it. It's costing us uh, about $2 billion just to shut down construction on it. It's costing us $3 million a day just c- kind of to guard the construction supplies. Uh, we have about 285 miles that was not completed, um, and Democrats refuse to secure our nation. They, they refuse to build a wall, even though people like President Biden, chuck schumer uh tom carper a lot of these democrats voted for the 2006 secure fence act that was supposed to build 700 miles of effective fencing it just didn't work so but now now they've turned securing our border building walls and fences into a partisan issue although they completely show that they believe fences work by the double layer fencing they had around the capitol for months mm-hmm. that was all about the the uh politics of painting with a broad brush that uh, Trump supporters were somehow domestic terrorists that uh, the capital needed to be protected against.
0: So, uh, you are somebody who made, uh, made your way in this country using the free market, and you became very successful in business. You decided to do something in politics very few people do. It's almost you look at it as a service, not to get famous, not to get rich, but to give back, use your knowledge. Can you explain to people out there that you could have a heart and be against the eviction uh, moratorium? Uh, right now, people aren't paying their rent for over a year. What do you do if you're a landlord? If you're Joe Biden, you do this. You do something unconstitutional. Cut 44. I've sought
3: out constitutional scholars to determine what is the best possibility that would come from executive action or the CDC's judgment. What could they do that was most likely to pass muster constitutionally? The bulk of the constitutional scholarship says that it's not likely to pass constitutional
0: muster. So it's an eviction moratorium that's unconstitutional. Brett Kavanaugh says you can't extend it without legislation, and they're doing it. What do you do if you're a landlord, when you can't collect rent from people who now in some cases are subletting this, buying new cars and boats, subletting it to other people, while while landlords don't get paid?
13: Yeah, Brian, this, this is jaw-dropping. It's just so brazen. Just Just like the Obama administration... The Biden administration is a lawless administration. They're, they're not. He's not faithfully executing the laws. He's got an open border. He's ignoring uh, the Supreme Court ruling. He's ignoring the Constitution. And yes, you're right. There's there's the other side of the equation when it comes to rent. It's called the, the the person who owns the property that has to keep it up, that has all the expenses of maintaining it. You know, they deserve rent payments. And of course, we have. Such levels of low unemployment in so many areas that that have opened up, that have remained opened up, uh, money is sloshing around this economy. Per capita, personal income rose by 5.5% or disposable income rose by 5.5% during the recession, during COVID recession. Uh, We got like $1.6 trillion more additional savings which is why we're seeing inflation being sparked. So this eviction moratorium should have ended. It should have ended a long time ago. I didn't even necessarily agree with it to begin with. You'd be better off providing people direct financial assistance as opposed to harming the other side of the equation, which are the landlords. Where's the compassion for those individuals? And by the way, you you are we have a housing shortage. How does this help prompt people invest in new housing? During a housing shortage, if they, if they can't even – be assured of getting rent. So again, this is so out of whack in terms of just economic uh, realities, but that's the Democratic platform. That, that's what liberals are all about, uh, making no sense whatsoever economically.
0: They say there's money uh, given to uh, landlords in the rental assistance program. Is that true? Oh,
13: well, there is some, but again, th- these rental so these programs across the board the covid relief programs were so imperfect and so many people got i don't know how many hundreds of billions or not trillions of dollars of money got just shotgunned through the economy and went to people that didn't even need it and then didn't get to people that did need it i mean restaurants were a prime example uh, they, they were begging for ppp loans and couldn't get them because other people were further ahead of them because they, they had existing bank loans and that's who the bank service first so again when government interjects itself in the economy, bad things happen, and they just can't run efficient programs. So there's all kinds of waste, fraud, and a lot of people that needed help never got it, and that's true to this day as well.
0: You try to help, but you're hurting. Obviously, you get the supplemental income. People don't have to work. Student loans, they are just forgiven or put on hold. Rental assistance, well, who pays them? Uh, And then you wonder, you know, and then you shut down restaurants and wonder how they're going to make, you know, they're going to uh, make their lease payments. Real quick, on January six, January six, you have a lot of questions about what the FBI knew uh, before January six, and what why security was so lax. And now the Washington Post wrote up that uh, Republican Senator Ron Johnson that the FBI knew more about the planning before the January six occurred than revealed so far, according to a video obtained by the Washington Post. The comments were from you, Ron Johnson, made after the political event, a political event over at a hotel. And Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, what do you what are you referring to?
13: Well, once again, that's a distortion of what I was talking about. I'm talking about there's a lot more to the story of January 6th than the narrative that uh, the news media, the Democrats and quite honestly, congressional leadership likes of thousands of armed insurrections. The reason they like that narrative, uh, Brian, is is because if they're responsible for capital security, what could have they done? against the you know, thousands of armed insurrectionists. So that's why that, narr- that false narrative, it's completely false narrative, has stuck. But when you take a look at uh, the FBI's involvement in the, the Michigan plot against uh, uh, gov- gov- the governor there, uh, and th- then realize these are the same groups, I'm just questioning, what else did the FBI know? What did Nancy Pelosi know? What was her involvement in, in, in being negligent, not providing sufficient security when you knew there were going to be tens of thousands of of protesters approaching the Capitol on the West Side. So, again, I've got all kinds of questions. I've written like a dozen oversight letters, gotten very few responses. And I know that the committee set up by Nancy Pelosi, they're not going to be asking the hard questions that I've already asked and I'm not getting answers to.
0: Senator, would would having a legitimate shot at the majority in the Senate affect – your decision whether to run for another six years or not?
13: Sure, because it's uh, pretty depressing being in the minority and just watching Chuck Schumer just push this trillions of dollars of unnecessary spending uh, through Congress. I mean, it's, it's just it's so frustrating. It's just depressing watching us further mortgage our kids' future. So, you know, if, if we could get the majority, um, I would be chairman of the Permanent Subcommittee Investigations, there's a lot to look into. And that that would actually be, a, you know, th- that that might be worthwhile. Let's put it that way. And
0: do you see that yet? Do you see a pathway to the majority that's that's possible enough to make you want to run again?
13: Well, I would say it's not helpful that Republicans are joining in the spending spree. Now, they're going listen, there are many good things. They've turned the infrastructure bill into more pure infrastructure. But as the Wall Street Journal keeps writing articles on it, it's the first step in the Green New Deal. There's all kinds of things because there's always going to be bad things when you're negotiating with Democrats. Again, our position should have been spent, you know, repurposed the $700 billion, not further mortgage our kids' future. So that, that is not helpful. It's not helpful when Republican voters look at Republicans and say, what's the difference between the two parties? I, I, let me say it. There's a huge difference. They are so much worse. And, have, Democrats, and, and way when, do you, worse.
0: when do you think you'll run for reelection, decide whether you're going to do it?
13: It's going to be a while. I, I want to see how this plays out, Brian. I, I, I have plenty of time. Remember, I didn't even decide to run in 2010 till the end of April, early May. It's plenty of time. These, these campaigns are way too long. They spend way too much money. I'm doing everybody a favor, not starting a campaign for U.S. Senate in Wisconsin now.
0: You got it. Uh, tell you what, you definitely make an impact. It's not like people are saying to themselves, who's that Wisconsin senator? You're in the middle of almost every major piece of legislation. Uh, senator Ron Johnson, thanks so much.
13: Have a great day. Stay healthy.
0: You got it. Uh, meanwhile, bottom of the hour, Frank Siller. Next to you, one 408 7669 This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever
10: you download podcasts. A
1: radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
10: I knew right after the first incident, the first kiss, him calling me beautiful, that there was something not right. I
5: immediately did feel um, embarrassed. So after talking with my family later that evening is when I shared my, um, my feelings. And they also shared their feelings. And they felt very uncomfortable and also embarrassed.
0: Yeah, so that is one of the accusers on the story yesterday and one of the Governor Cuomo accusers. And there's 11 and there's probably more. And they've all had their stories confirmed multiple ways. And the investigation done by somebody that Governor Cuomo mentored in Letitia James, who probably is going to run for governor because of this, looking stone-faced and looking straight ahead. You saw the press conference. You saw his retort, and it's made people dig in even more. Even though his brother's getting a total pass, he shouldn't. Evidently, he's still consulting with his brother while hosting a show, and now he's not even covering the number one story in America because he can't, because he's compromised It's unbelievable. You or I would have been fired years ago. And by the way, a Marist poll showed 63% of New Yorkers want him to resign. My question is who are the 27 other percent? What else do you need? 86 assembly members said they'll vote to impeach. It could be coming up as early as two weeks, but that's a lot of time for Governor Cuomo to manipulate. He's got nowhere to go. That's his problem. He's not going to a multi million dollar job waiting in the wings. He was hoping to become president or vice president. And now he's not even going to become governor. Hope he's gone now.
7: From the Fox News Podcasts Network.
4: I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast.
7: Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: The more you listen, the more you'll know.
7: It's Brian
1: Kilmeade.
0: Welcome back. We're going to be checking in with him. It's our privilege to do so. He's doing a great thing, as he does every day, but now he's taking major physical action, 42 days. Uh, It starts on August 1st. Uh, His Never Forget walk, it started, I guess, over the weekend. Frank will walk 500 miles from the Pentagon to Shanksville, Pennsylvania, to the World Trade Center, where he will arrive the morning on Saturday on 9-11. Frank Siller is the man we're talking about, chairman and CEO of Tunnels and Towers Foundation. Frank's been training for this for a while. The walk has started. Frank, where are you? How are you doing?
14: (laughs) I'm doing great. I'm on Highway 7 by Perryville, Virginia. I was in uh, Leesburg uh, yesterday, and I'm heading to uh, Winchester, uh, Virginia, for Saturday, where they're going to have a nice gathering and a barbecue in uh, Winchester uh, on Saturday. People have been great. They're very enthusiastic. People are going by in their cars, and they're saying thank you for not forgetting. They're yelling out, never forget, never forget, because they know they're paying attention. This is the Never Forget walk.
0: So at the end of last night, day four, the Never Forget walk, you had walked 56.2 miles towards 537. How many of you walked today? It's so early still. It's so early,
14: but I have 10.2 in uh, already this morning. Uh, It's going to be a little warmer today, so I'm trying to beat the heat. And um, and then I uh, I have another four miles uh, I'm going to do it um, or as I am walking right now to finish another so four miles or so so I'll do I, 14.4 maybe 14.5 today
0: I knew you had a superstar soccer player training you because you really do have to train <laughs> for this and how are you feeling
14: I feel great I really do I've done everything shins? to prepare Excuse me How about your shins. No, my shins are fine. I've been walking for over 15 months. I've been doing this and preparing the best I can for a 68 year old man. And uh, I, uh, I really, uh, I'm inspired by uh, all these great heroes that gave their lives uh, 20 years ago. And I certainly can't complain. These guys ran into a, a building on fire. And, uh, and we're saving people and gave their lives. All I'm doing is walking with a nice pair of sneakers with a, a trainer that got me in good shape and, and other great Americans that care about America uh, that are joining me uh, on this walk. Look, Brian, part of my hope is to, that we get a million people to join us on a mission to take care of our most catastrophic Legion service members, to take care of Gold Star families and fallen first responder families that leave young children uh, behind. We can do that if they go to T2T.org, donate as little as $11 a month. You know, I say it over and over and over again because that is the way that we could take care of all these families, not just this year, where we're going to deliver 200 mortgage-free homes, but every year.
0: Who's out on the road with you?
14: Uh, well, right now, um, we, uh, we have three uh, motorcycle cops because i was just on a very dangerous road and they were great to uh to block it off my trainer uh, you know shannon uh horgan uh, who uh, most certainly has done a fantastic job i have uh about four or five other uh, tunnel to tower uh people who uh, prepared me for this walk and got the the roads all, all, all mapped up but i did have different individuals that uh, have been walking with me along the way so it's the first day we had over 500 and then it you know, it's whittled down to uh, to a handful, uh, and I like that. Uh, but then I also like that I'm going in on Saturday to Winchester, uh, Virginia, where we're going to have a very large group walking uh, with me for several miles.
0: Well wow, that's going to be great. And then when you go to D.C. and you're going to Shanksville, D.C., and then you're going to end up in New York, will there be events at those places?
14: Absolutely. So we have uh, – uh, I'll be in Shanksville. So I started the Pentagon on on the 1st, August 1st. Um, and then I head to Shanksville. Uh, we're going to uh, have uh, some 9-11 families uh, that lost their loved ones at, uh, at, at in the fields in Shankville. Uh, we're going to lay a wreath, say a prayer. Uh, and then I'm heading to New York because that night uh, we have a concert at a Jones Beach uh, where we're going to pay tribute to these great heroes, 20 years, uh, and, you know, have a, a celebrating their uh, heroic lives and um and making sure we never forget and then i'm heading back and then uh i'll be uh, the day after heading back on the road again and uh making sure that i get to new york city for september 11th to make sure at ground zero that i'm there laying a wreath right at 10 truck a 10 house uh which is adjacent to uh, to ground zero so i'll be meeting all my uh, firefighter buddies uh many 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 of them on the morning of September 11th after I walked through the tunnel, like my brother ran through the 20, uh, tunnel 20 years ago, but he did it with 60 pounds of gear on his back. And, uh, obviously he was on a mission of saving people and he did that but while he did it, he gave up his life, Brian. So I want to, I think about him every day as I'm, uh, as I'm walking, that's for sure. So I have no doubt we're going to complete this. And I just want people to help us to take care of these great families that, are willing to die for you and I, Brian, every day they're willing to die for you and I. we got to make a promise to these families that if they go out there, these great heroes, and, and they don't come home, we're going to take care of the families that are left behind. It's the least we could do as Americans, the least we could do. And uh, so join us on this mission, and people can see where their money goes. You know how we take care of the money, Brian. You know that firsthand, uh, because you've, uh, you've uh, made sure that we're the type of foundation that we say we are. We don't just say it. We do it. We deliver.
0: Yeah, and um, I am a regular donor, too, like so many people here at Fox. Uh, Frank Siller, chairman and CEO of Tunnel to Towers. Go to T2T.org. He's on a huge journey. We're going to check with you uh, consistently throughout it, uh, leading right up to 9-11, and you got that big concert along the way, T2T.org. Frank, thanks so much. And we all know Shannon Horgan, an outstanding player in the players in the national team pool. Uh, for soccer and also a standout at Clemson. And I coached our, our younger brother, Billy, who was a great player, too. Uh, thanks can't so much, Frank. can make
14: this stuff up. <laughs> it's, it's a small world. Yep. Thanks, Brian. Go Bye. get him,
0: Frank. one uh, 866 So, of course, uh, Frank uh, is from Staten Island. His whole family's from New York. Uh, we know that there's a lot of frustration uh, in New York about the way this whole pandemic was handled, the amount of deaths, the amount of sacrifice, the extensive lockdowns. Now they're going to start and it's happening maybe to a city near you, Los Angeles to be next. They're going to start saying you can't eat indoors. You can't go to a play indoors. You can't go to a theater indoors. You cannot go to a concert. Uh, with a, unless you're vaccinated, they're going to do that. This is pressing things in America to a place I never thought we'd go. And you should expect this governor to crack down again because he is in trouble. Once he's in trouble, he tries to take command when he's in trouble, like he is right now, a point of no return. he is the last one to fully understand it. One of the first people to come forward and said, I will not be cowed. I will not be intimidated is a liberal assemblyman from a New York City. He is Ron Kim. When all these allegations came down and the almost 200-page report came forward, put together by an attorney general who's Democrat, he has lost at least 86 supporters, Democratic side, in the Assembly. They put up uh, articles of impeachment. He'll be impeached. Here's what he said. Cut 28.
8: My colleagues in the Assembly want to push for immediate impeachment if the governor does not step down, and I believe it will take, it will take shape in the next few days. He broke the law the top prosecutor in the state of New Yorks had claimed that he broke federal and state laws. We have, as a legislative body, an ethical and legal duty to remove him from his position of power. I can confidently say there are no Democrats at the local, state, or federal level who who are supporting or stand with this governor.
0: How can they? I mean, how can you possibly stand up for women's rights in the workplace or women's right in life and support somebody that's been so abusive about this, that's been confirmed and believe me, these investigators, I don't know them well, but they don't go out there to take down Democratic conchos. And that's exactly what they did because it was so overwhelmingly. He says, New Yorkers, I'm 63 years old. You know me. No, we don't. We have no idea who you are. We know you got this huge ego and you have a famous dad that helped you have a political career, at which time you, saw you walked over everyone possible to be successful. What else is new? You acted, you acted like a thug in office, and you bullied people around and diminished those who would dare to cross you because your ego's, uh, ego's out of control. Brett Holyman, a Democrat and a former friend, New York state senator, cut 30.
10: It's a national embarrassment. Uh, the governor must go. I think the assembly has enough information to act on the attorney general's report, bring those articles of impeachment to the Senate as soon as possible. This is not political, as the governor uh, would argue. This, if anything, is the most apolitical act uh, I've witnessed in all of my time in Albany. There is virtually no support in the state legislature for Governor Andrew Cuomo. And when I say no, I mean zero. I don't know of a single legislator who has spoken up in support of Governor Cuomo.
0: So they say it's going to take about three weeks to draw up these articles of impeachment, at which time they're going to have a vote and he's going to be ousted. I mean, what is he waiting for? Is he going to sue everyone that votes against him? Is he going to find out if there's a way to get impeached and still stay in office? I mean, it makes no sense. What also is, it's a learned thing. Remember, Democrats have been burned twice in recent memory by this Michael Avenatti, who's been on more than anybody else, and by Governor Cuomo. Governor Cuomo, who was lauded as somebody that wished Donald Trump would act more like, the person who acted so well under pressure that he was given $5 million to write a book on how to lead us through tough times. Remember, it wasn't too long ago when this Governor Cuomo, now disgraced in every way, shape, and form, was talked about in this way. Remember, let's go back even last year. Cut 25. How would you contrast Cuomo and President Trump's handling of the crisis? Truth versus mendacity.
3: Even lifelong Republicans tell me they look at Cuomo and they're like, God, there's a leader.
13: You have to wonder what it's like to be in your shoes with the weight of this responsibility and just the sheer exo- exhaustion you must be feeling right now.
3: I hope you are able to appreciate what you did in your state and what it means for the rest of the country now and what it will always mean to those who love and care about you the most. I'm wowed by what you did. And more importantly, I'm wowed by how you did it.
0: And meanwhile, along the way, when things started getting bad, Chris Cuomo was the one leading the charge and the, and the legal team, clearly crossing boundaries, risking his job in the process. Nobody says if you're a lawyer and you're somebody in your family's in legal trouble, you help him out. But expose it to everybody and say, listen, I'm helping out my brother. I'm not going to talk about that. And let CNN Let the chips fall where they may. At least you could say he's transparent. But then to find out that later that other people were afraid to speak up, that he was taking over communications, to me, is stunning. And I'm not calling for anyone to be fired. I am not into that. I don't want anyone to lose their job. But it just goes to show you, the one thing you take away from this, no matter how high you are at any point in your life, to a small business, big business, big fame, Hollywood, whatever it is, know that you can fall in two seconds, especially if your actions leave you exposed, to, so to speak. And this is not any, there's no Republican playing a role in any of this. There's no conservative magazine or newspaper pushing the envelope. These are all lefty organizations. And as left as it gets is Don Lemon. If you think it's bad, Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo pretend to be friends, or maybe they are friends, every single handoff to power, 9 to 10 o'clock every day. Cut twenty six.
3: I'm going to make my witness, as you say, and you know what? I love you, brother. I love you, D. Lemon. This is Don Lemon tonight. The calls are getting louder and louder. This is what I'm talking about. Top Democrats from New York to the White House calling on Governor Andrew Cuomo
0: to resign. And he would say the same thing a little bit later on, you know, two minutes from saying goodbye to his brother. I just don't know even there's another flip side to it. My hope is that Lee Zeldin has a legitimate shot. My sense is he does. He's got the military back down. He won in a purple region in New York State on Long Island with the, the Jewish background, the pro-Israel stance that's been well chronicled, the support of Donald Trump. Uh where Long Island has a lot of support. You got to I mean, you got to walk around this place. He has support in a way that George Bush didn't, and Mitt Romney never had. Upstate New York, they couldn't be more disenchanted with Cuomo because he promised them a shot at uh, fracking, He denied it. He said an environmental study will reveal it. When it said he should go ahead and do it, he stopped doing it anyway. Therefore, all the expansion never took place. The Buffalo Project was a billion-dollar bust. It got his buddy landed in prison. So if you've been let down by Democrats, give Lee Zeldin a shot. Cut 33.
8: The governor yesterday didn't show the remorse that he needed to, he should have resigned. Uh, The video instead continued to attack his accusers and the investigators, Uh, and that's one of the reasons why many of his top allies, including yesterday the president of the United States himself, as well as today a number of his top uh, allied unions, are all saying that it's time for him to go. As far as what should happen next, it should be an impeachment and, and removal.
0: And I don't see any way to stop it. I'll believe it when I see it, but there's no way to stop it. When we come back, what they're saying about the Delta variant, and uh, we're also going to talk about the bipartisan infrastructure bill that is making way right now on the floor of the Senate, will that be something that you could support? It's got Republicans divided, literally 17 are ready to vote for it now. That's hardly 50, but 17 ready to vote for it, giving bipartisan cover and maybe credit to Republicans saying that if something's put out there that at least is listened to on the other side, that they'll get behind it. Uh, We'll get your take on that. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move.
1: Can't get enough of Brian? Come see him live on stage with Dana Perino for an evening of laughs and lively conversation. Laughter, life, and the joy of liberty. Saturday, September 25th at the Paramount Theater in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Go to briankillme.com to get your tickets now
7: from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're
3: with Brian Kilmeade. I believe the results of their decisions are not good for their constituents. And it's clear to me and to most of the medical experts that the decisions being made, like not allowing mask mandates in school and the like, are bad health policy. Bad health
0: policy. Okay, that's fine. Uh, President Biden, who hid in his basement when the pandemic started, came out and said he knew better, then said by July 4th we beat it. Now the variant's back, and he wants to blister Texas and uh, Florida governors. Uh, Thanks. Way to bring us together. Steve WTRC in South Bend, Indiana. Hey, Steve. Morning. How are you, Brian? Good. Where do you stand on this?
6: Uh, well, if I stand on the on the infrastructure bill is what I called in about, and it's for any Republican to actually maintain that they're a Republican and support this. Just switch party affiliation now. There's so much garbage pork in this bill; it's it's really just disgusting.
0: Do You think? Uh, is there anything good in it?
6: Well, if you actually get down to infrastructure, yes, roads, bridges, uh, tunnels. Airline um, uh, reinforcing uh, upgrading airports, but you know, 2.6 billion to NOAA, 5 billion for low emission school buses, the slush funds for Utah, West Virginia, and Alaska. How is that infrastructure?
0: I didn't see the slush funds for those three states.
6: Well, the, the carve outs for, for, um, Senator Manchin's wife for the the Appalachian Initiative, uh, and the fifty million dollars I think going to Utah, and then the 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 money going up to Alaska that is not related to construction projects for infrastructure.
0: So you would think it's their bribes to Romney and Murkowski to vote for it.
6: Absolutely, and also to get Manchin on board. Um, you know, I, I called my one of my senators. Mike Braun is opposed to it. The other is Todd Young. And I asked his representative, when's he just going to switch affiliations and become a Democrat already? This is quit playing and wasting our money. We cannot afford this crap.
0: Well, um, we'll see, because the worst is yet to come. If this if this passes or fails, we're still going to be looking at three point five trillion jammed down our throats through reconciliation. Although I did get assurances from a Republican that it will not be three point five trillion because. Cinema and Manchin don't want it. Uh, So they might be standing in in the way and keeping democracy afloat, those two Democratic senators from moderate states. Thanks so much. I understand the disappointment. How much of it is a compromise, though? How much is it a compromise, which is every bill the way it was supposed to be? Nobody's exactly happy or unhappy. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com or any of my books, including Sam Houston and The Alamo Avengers.
7: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News radio
1: studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Big hour coming your way. We're going to be joined by uh, Jeffrey Scott Shapiro. Uh, he looked at that uh, UFO report that came out by the government. He sees something different in it. Wrote about it, uh, and he wants to talk about it. And I say that sounds great to me. Josh Rogan, best-selling author, you know his uh, you know his books. You know he's been on before. You know I think he is the premier expert when it comes to China American policy and what they're up to. Even before the pandemic hit, uh, it was a great book. Let alone when it, since it hit. It is a necessary book for everyone to read. It's called Chaos Under Under uh, Heaven, and we're going to talk to him in a matter of seconds, so let's get to the Big Three.
1: Now with
2: the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They haven't done a single thing to slow the flow. A vast amount of uh, illegal aliens from all the world are being released in our country every day with COVID, and that's a fact. They cannot run from this. That's a fact, and they can't hide from it.
0: Uh, That, of course, is the guy you know so well, Tom Holman. Insanity. It's the only way to explain how the Biden administration thinks it's okay to let over a million illegals into our nation. Thousands known to have COVID-19. And stunningly, despite the uh, deterrence, like the heat of the summer, they stream in and invade our country and no one's doing anything. Number two. I
3: never touched anyone inappropriately or made inappropriate sexual advances. Politics and bias are interwoven throughout every aspect of this situation.
0: (laughs) Alone and abandoned, Governor Cuomo's long humiliating goodbye could be a lot shorter.
3: Number one. I say to these governors, please help. But you aren't going to help, at least get out of the way.
4: Joe Biden suggests that if you don't do lockdown policies, then you should quote, get out of the way. But let me tell you this, If you're coming after the rights of parents in Florida, I'm standing in your way. Uh,
0: uh, Governor DeSantis versus Biden. Since the administration is having trouble handling the Delta virus, they seem to want to pick an enemy. And why not Ron DeSantis as we look at the nationwide attack on the unvaccinated happening at the same time? And it might for a day uh paper over the fact that we still don't know how exactly this virus started. And a year ago today, if I was to bring that up and tweet that out and put it on Facebook, I would probably have my account suspended. But now it's conventional wisdom to the point where the WHO is all over it. And a man with his been screaming from the mountaintops has been virtually ignored But his book can't be. It's called Chaos Under Heaven. Trump, Xi and the battle for the 21st century. That's a battle we're in. And the pandemic is the latest blow. Was it intentional? Did it come from the Wuhan lab? By the fact that the military is brought in to clean up, does that give you an an indication? And the fact that we're all dealing with another variant and another surge in China tells us they can't even control it. Josh, welcome back.
15: Great to be with you again, Brian.
0: Josh, first off, what's happening in China? You know, they say they only about four thousand lost their lives, but they're starting to go through lockdowns. What can they? What do your sources tell you is happening with this variant?
15: Well, my sources tell me that the Delta variant is spreading rampantly throughout China, and that the Chinese Communist Party is uh, covering it up egregiously. Now, if you just look at their official statements, what they said a couple days ago was three hundred cases in fifteen provinces. Now, that. Do the math is about 20 cases of promise. Does that make any sense to anyone? Can you imagine the Chinese government people sitting around a table being like, oh, yeah, we'll go with that. That'll sell. You know, it's insane. So my question is, okay, if you see them locking down huge cities like Nanjing and they're claiming it's only 300 cases, how can we trust them on what they're saying? And the answer is that we can't. And if you just think about that, okay, well, it makes perfect sense because they lied and covered up every stage of this pandemic. And now they're covering up their Delta variant uh, problems, which I'm sure are exacerbated by the fact that their Chinese government-made shots don't really work that well. And then you think about all of the international athletes going to Beijing in, what, six months, seven months for the Winter Olympics, uh, not knowing what the hell is going on with their outbreak. Is that safe? Is that okay? Are we just going to stand by and let that happen and pretend that they're not lying to our faces? Uh, I hope not, uh, but we'll see. Why is the administration went from
0: that, you know, didn't happen as a distraction to now they're looking into it and they came out with a report. Did
15: that report show you anything? You know, the Biden team is going through this like. 90-day intelligence review, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, actually, and they're already putting out feelers and 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 leaks to say, oh, well, we were, we're not going to be able to figure it out. Well, we looked at all of the intelligence data, which for some reason they didn't look at for the first 18 months of the crisis. But anyway, set that aside. Now they're like, okay, we actually looked at the… The stuff, all the stuff that we had on these Wuhan labs that we never bothered to look at, and uh, we didn't find any smoking guns, so everybody go about their day. And I think what you're seeing on Capitol Hill from almost all Republicans, but now increasingly actually a number of Democrats, uh, is a very public statement of like, no, that's not okay. We can't accept that. We can't just... Look for our keys under the lamppost. In other words, we can't – the intelligence data is only one small piece of the puzzle. And I think what you saw just over the last couple of weeks was a really damning report by uh, the House Foreign Affairs Committee staff, minority staff led by Mike McCall, uh, compiling a bunch of data uh, that shows that not only is there a lot of evidence pointing to the labs – uh, but that the timeline is all screwed up, and that it was probably circulating in Wuhan months earlier than we original thought, originally thought. Brian, in September 2019, not December 2019. And if you just think about that for just one second, you realize, oh my God, they were covering it up potentially four months longer than we thought, which means it was spreading four months longer than we thought. And uh, you know, that's gonna—that's not even something that the Biden team is really. Focused on. So what we're going to have in a couple of weeks here is the Biden team is going to say, well, we we looked inside of our own files and we couldn't figure it out, so let's just move on. And then you're going to have people in Congress on both sides of the aisle, I think, uh, saying, no, no, the investigation must continue because 620,000 American die- Americans have died so far, and because there's no statute of limitations on those deaths, and their families are going to want to know why they died and who's to blame, and also. Uh, we're going to need that information in order to, pre- to prevent the next pandemic, you know, which is really the most important thing, because if you listen to our public health officials like Anthony Fauci and others and Francis Collins, they'll say, well, we need to do more research on more viruses and in more labs, including labs in China. And the fact what Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins are proposing in The New York Times is billions of dollars more in US-funded research to dig up dangerous viruses and play around with them in labs, including in China. And all I say is, shouldn't we, before we do that, just check, just do the investigation, just actually rule it out? Uh, If it's not true that these Wuhan labs were involved in some way with the outbreak, isn't it crazy to pump billions of dollars of more into labs that have zero accountability and zero transparency in a crisis when the pandemic breaks out on their doorstep? And, you know, what kind of schmucks are we if we uh, try to go into these labs and they tell us to go pound sand and then we're like, oh, would you like some more money? You know, so this is really getting to the point of uh, public awareness. And I think you and a lot of others are uh, deserve a lot of credit for raising the profile of this issue, because it's not about politics. It's not about Donald Trump. It's not even about science. It's about a forensic investigation into how. We got into this horrible dystopian nightmare that seven billion people continue to live through, continue to suffer through. And that can't be an investigation that's confined to intelligence reviews. It can't be entrusted to the scientists who were the best friends of the Wuhan lab and who have been telling us not to look into the labs like Anthony Fauci. Uh, We're going to have to have a public airing of all of this stuff to be able to say that we even tried, that we even made a good faith attempt uh, to prevent the next pandemic. And if we don't do that, well, then everybody better start buying some more masks.
0: Well, some people look at this and says, okay, uh, they saw the intelligence early on when Trump was in power, Pompeo and company, and they came out and said, uh, I, cannot re- I cannot release the fact, I cannot walk away from the fact that this could have come from a lab. I cannot release. I cannot let go of the fact that we need to investigate whether this was intentional or not. And those were the words and the feelings and the sentiments and the statements from Pompeo and Trump and was totally refuted by all social media organizations, and more importantly, Anthony Fauci. And now it seems as though the Trump people were right, and Fauci can't explain himself, and Peter Daszak's been totally disgraced from anyone who's studying
15: this, correct? And now the mainstream media can't really handle where they're at right now in this story. Well, yeah, you're. I mean, you're absolutely right that the reason that the lab leak theory was so easy to dismiss is because uh, it was endorsed by Trump and Pompeo, and a lot of people just didn't think they had any credibility. But what I say is, you know, it's not just Trump and Pompeo. Now we have a lot more information. Now we have a lot more scientists, including Robert Redfield, who was the head of the CDC, and saw all the intelligence. Happens to be a virologist who took a look at it and said the way the virus acts and the way that I look at the genome tells me that it definitely. Came from gain of function research at the lab, and everyone ignored him. And you know, the, the media can't sort of admit its mistake, right? They got sort of swin- uh, took, they got uh, a conned by their su- best science t- sources, you know, and you could understand why that happened because uh, you know, these science usually science journalism is not this political, but these science journalists. You know, they went to Anthony Fauci and Peter Dashak, who's the head of the Eco Health Alliance, who funneled money into the Wuhan labs and worked with the Wuhan labs and then told us not to look at the labs and then went on the WHO investigation and didn't investigate the lab and exonerated the lab. And they and that's just crazy. We can't have that system and the media really screwed that up. And, you know, as part of the mainstream media myself, I'm here to tell you that like the best thing we could do is admit our mistake and try to learn lessons from it, but I don't see that happening. At Tucker
0: all. last night uh, went over and talked about a whistleblower report that the New York Times actually paid not to bring this up by China. Here's a little of that monologue. Cut seventeen.
10: As 2020 continued, lies like this became less and less tenable. They were more obviously untrue. People started to notice that a level four virology lab, one of few in the world, in Wuhan was conducting dangerous experiments on bat coronaviruses with fewer safeguards than typical dentist office has in the United States. They also noticed that Tony Fauci was helping to pay for those experiments. And that's when the Times decided it had to delete those articles from its archives. Two high-level employees at the New York Times confirmed to The Spectator in London that the paper stopped any investigation into evidence that the coronavirus had emerged from that lab in Wuhan. Quote, in early 2020, said one whistleblower, I suggested to a senior editor of the paper that we investigate the origins of COVID-19. I was told it was dangerous to run a piece about the origins of the coronavirus. There was resistance to running anything that could suggest that COVID-19 was man-made or had leaked accidentally from a lab. It was untouchable everywhere, said another Times source to The Spectator. The fact that Trump embraced it, of course, also made it a no-go. According to the whistleblowers, though, the biggest factor wasn't politics. The biggest factor was the fact that the New York Times was taking money from the communist Chinese government. So they killed a story, a story which, by the way, was not a conspiracy theory at all, but entirely
15: real.
0: Your thoughts on that?
15: Yeah, well, I was with Tucker up until the point where he linked it to the Chinese government payments. In other words, it's very clear, and the New York Times did actually worse than that. When Robert Redfield called it, uh, uh, said it might probably came from the lab, Uh, The headline the New York Times used was that CDC director spreads a debunked theory. They actually said it was debunked. When no one ever debunked it, You know, they sort of made up facts to steer us away from it. So that's bad journalism, to be sure. Now, the the payment issue is different, right? The Chinese Communist Party has been paying all these media organizations for years to run their ads, which are made to look like news articles. But it's like, oh, everything in Tibet is hunky-dory, says the head of the Tibet you know, committee or whatever. And that's egregious. And they stopped that. Now, I don't think there's a direct link between that because, you know, I've been writing critical stuff of the CCP for 20 years and all, you know, that the, I don't, I never saw a link between the business side and the editorial side. If there's evidence of that, let's see it. You know, I, I would call that shocking if true, but, but I agree with Tucker up to the point where he says that because a about their coverage, he's totally right. They they crapped all over the lab leak theory egregiously, uh, due to a mix of confirmation bias, source bias, uh, narrative bias. Right? They're like they were stuck in this narrative that Fauci and Tashak created intentionally to cover their own tushies, to distract us from looking into their own work, so that they could hide what they were doing and they continue to hide it, you know. And wh- how is it that people like Anthony Fauci can uh, you know, refuse congressional requests for records of research that was funded by the US taxpayer? How is that okay? How can we allow that to happen? And how can the Biden administration not tell Francis Collins and Anthony Fauci to hand over all the documents to make them public right now, no redactions. Let's see it. You know what I mean? And you know why won't they do that right now? So I think that, you know, Uh, Essentially, you know, we all sort of – all of our institutions failed during the pandemic, Brian, right? Our government – the first responders were great. They were amazing. Don't get me wrong. They they performed heroically. The hospitals, our healthcare system. But our political institutions, our media – and now we realize that our scientific institutions are not infallible, right? None of these people are infallible. And just because they're scientists doesn't mean they can't be corrupt and they can't have a conflict of interest and they can't mislead people. And so – Reckoning with that is something that we have to do in order to realize that we need to change the way that we oversee risky virus research with China, because if you leave it in the hands of the scientists who have a financial and uh, career interest in promoting that very research, well, you're going to get what we have now, which is an opaque mess that we can't figure out even when our lives are literally at stake.
0: So I just want to tell you, according to a report, the infrastructure bill that's making its way through the Senate that might indeed pass, um, the smart grant program does not prohibit purchases of use of Chinese drones. I mean, it seems right. like it seems like we're still not getting the message.
15: Yeah, I saw Rubio's tweet on that. You know, this, this is like n- now broadening to the broader scope of the book about what it is we're dealing with in the Chinese Communist Party. And what we have to realize is that All of our engagement with uh, Chinese companies and the Chinese government uh, needs to be looked at very carefully. It doesn't mean we need to go into a Cold War. It doesn't mean we need to decouple completely. It means that, well, if the Chinese drone company is beholden to the Chinese Communist Party, and it is, then maybe we shouldn't put those drones into our Department of Homeland Security (laughs) and into our military because that's a vulnerability that we're paying them to install. So we're going to give them a spying capability and pay them for their trouble and undermine our own uh, drone industry in the process. That's just stupid. Okay, it's it's unsafe and stupid. And there are a thousand examples in our
0: politics and in our
15: society. And we need to get on this right now because the problem is only getting worse.
0: Pick up chaos under heaven. Josh Rogan, thanks so much. Always educational. You got it. Back in a moment. Call's next.
7: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian
1: Kilmeade Show.
0: All right, Gary, you're in Columbus, Indiana. Hey, Gary. How you doing, Brian? Good. Thanks for listening. What's on your mind?
13: I love your show, first of all. Um, I called when Frank was on, but I've been held on since then. Um, I wanted to thank Frank for doing what he's doing for his brother. Um, I, uh, I'm a member of Tunnel to Towers. Uh, I paid for a year's use of it because I'm not in real good health myself, and I want to make sure I had the money there for the whole year. So I paid for the whole year, 11 months. Good job, a month, $11 a month. Well, so, just know so your money's going to the right
0: Frank, place. I've seen it up close.
13: I'm sorry. What was that?
0: Know your money's going to the right place.
13: Oh, I know that. Yes, sir. That was one good thing. Every time I see that commercial on TV, I bring a tear to my eye. I'm Appreciate a, it. I'm a
0: good job, Gary. Jerry, listen in Chicago. Hey, Jerry.
13: Hi, br- Hi, Brian. Thanks
12: for taking my call. I am so pissed off at the Republican Party. What the hell are these spineless, gutless, yellow-bellied rhinos doing? They are selling us down the river. If they think that we're going to support and vote for the Republican Party after they vote to pass these bills, they got another thing coming.
0: Very disappointed, I guess, in the bipartisan infrastructure bill. It's a compromise bill. A lot of Republicans aren't happy with it. 17 senators will vote for it. I think there's a lot in there Republicans got. I wish the reconciliation package doesn't make you feel I taken advantage of by even voting for it, because almost everything they voted out of it ends up in the reconciliation package. Frustrating.
7: New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My
3: name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will I humbly say single-handedly
13: save the world.
7: You're welcome. It's Kennedy saves the world. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
4: We can either have a free society or we can have a biomedical security state. And I can tell you, Florida, we're a free state. People are going to be free to choose to make their own decisions about themselves, about their families, about their kids' education. Joe Biden suggests that if you don't do lockdown policies, then you should, quote, get out of the way. But let me tell you this. If you're coming after the rights of parents in Florida, I'm standing in your way. And
0: the crowd roared and they've had it. And Governor DeSantis gets called out by the president and then he ripped back and walked away from the podium after blistering the president on his border policy and the fact that he's taking aim again at a Republican run state. Joining us now is Jeffrey Scott Shapiro. He's back with the show. Investigative journalist, former Washington, D.C. prosecutor, former director of the U.S. Office of uh, Cuba Broadcasting. Uh, Jeff, welcome back.
9: Thank you so much for having me on today, Brian. How no problem.
0: And I do want to talk to you about what you wrote about in the Wall Street Journal, the UFOs may be earthly and dangerous sure. uh, last week. But I also want to get you what you're doing today. What brings you to Florida for government with Governor DeSantis?
9: Well, you know, Brian, I'm actually from Florida, and uh, I am at the Brigade 2506 with uh, the governor and a few of our uh, friendly congressional allies and a lot of uh, hardworking journalists that have been putting time into making sure the truth comes out about what's happening in Cuba uh, this this is really an uh, incredible moment in history, and I think everything the governor and the congressional representatives are saying is, is accurate. Everything Senator Rubio is saying is accurate. This is America's moment to stand behind the Cuban people. We have to stand behind these people and let them know that uh, we are the leader of the free world, and we have to support their pursuit for freedom.
0: Right. Uh, but to do that, also, it's not like China's not doing anything. It's not like You don't have uh, other uh, unsavory forces trying to prop up that horrible government, right?
9: Unfortunately, you know, unbeknownst to a lot of uh, people... Uh, you know, Beijing and Moscow have had heavily influence in uh, the Western Hemisphere through the Cuban regime for decades. The Cuban regime is much more powerful than people realize. Uh, Cuban intelligence is all over this hemisphere. They helped uh, the Ortega regime and the Chavez regime, as well as the Maduro regime, come to power and stay in power. And uh, it really is in the interest of the United States, if you ask me, to, to see that regime leave power in Havana, because uh, it really is having a negative impact impact on democracy throughout the U.S. sphere of influence.
0: Gotcha. Now I want to talk about, you know, they released this report about UAPs, better known as UFOs. And they said that, you know, we've seen some of the video. What is the deal? Are there people from other planets, other solar systems, uh, infiltrating our airspace as they got into sensitive zones because they move too quick? They're too elusive and they seem to just disappear for our aircraft. What do you conclude or what do you postulate? Well, you
9: know, Brian, I've been fascinated with the story for a long time. I used to write about aerospace, particularly Russian aerospace, when I was with the Washington Times. And I've been writing a piece about the very subject matter you're discussing what if it is extraterrestrial? But as I started researching it, I found out that there is a patent application from the U.S. Navy uh, with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office for a new laser plasma technology that would allow us to project holographic images of UFOs in the sky. And the reason for this is because it would be a countermeasure for fighter pilots to use if they're engaged in aerial combat. So in other words, right now we have fighter planes that use flares as countermeasures. So if a heat-seeking missile is coming at them, it goes toward the flares. This is a new type of technology that a jet or a drone could use to project a holographic image in the sky to distract pilots. Now, a lot of people believe they're seeing images that resemble ufos in the sky especially in restricted airspace over military installations and during warplane exercises the question is did one of our adversaries get the jump on this the technology is already operational and we're actually seeing these laser plasma holograms already
0: so you're saying we go to we go to pursue something that we're already engineering but they might be ahead of us and you think it might be the russians
9: well, I think it is. And I'm going to tell you why, Brian. I know some folks in the government think it could be China. There are a number of incidents out in the Pacific. There have also been some in Atlant- uh, the Atlantic. However, if you look at history, in 2017, the Kremlin declared that it had already achieved laser plasma electromagnetic weaponry. And if you go even further back to the early 1990s, after the fall of the Soviet Union, the Russians admitted to us that the Soviets had been working on a type of Plasmoid technology, which is like a cluster of plasma, right? It's like so many particles from a laser technology that it actually creates a sort of photon technology or it it, it manipulates particles in the air. And they were doing that to compete with President Reagan's Strategic Defense Initiative, otherwise known as Star Wars. So imagine for a moment if the Russians, in having started this laser plasma technology research back in the late 80s, continued on with it for the past 30-so years. They could be way ahead of us, or at least a little bit ahead of us. Let's not forget, the Russians have been ahead of us before. They were ahead of us in the space in the 1960s, and they're still ahead of us in some ways now, even with rocket engine technology.
0: Well, does you saw this also it could explain some of the blurry nature of the video.
9: Exactly. That's one of the issues with this, Brian, is that when people see these pictures or they see these images, they sometimes almost look like holograms, right? They look like silhouettes of images, we're not exactly looking up at the sky and seeing giant uh, flying saucers out of Independence Day. What we're seeing are these kinds of weird images that leave a lot of debate. Elon Musk has challenged that as well. Uh, A lot of people have challenged it. But it also might explain, Brian, why we never see them land or take off. The only thing we've ever really seen is some of our fighter pilots have noticed when they get it on radar, it seems to sort of dissolve or disappear into the water in the ocean. Now, the question is, Are there drones operating underwater that are projecting these images? Are they sort of projecting the image into the water so it looks as if there's a real craft there that has a place to disappear to? Or um, is there an actual drone that that is actually submerging? We don't have the answers to these things yet, but certainly those are all possibilities.
0: So why do you think these uh, these images were released?
9: I think what's happening here is uh, one of a couple things. I think a few people are exploring these ideas. One is... This could be a continuous attempt to get us to engage in our defenses so that they can assess our defensive power to see how we respond to things. It could also be uh, an ongoing program of threat assessment in general. And I know that one theory that's being looked at is that this is an ongoing PSYOP, not just against our military, but American society. This could be a long-term disinformation campaign and psychological operation to sort of shatter the aura of American invincibility because when your military starts to lose their will to win, or they start to think that they've lost dominance, it sort of changes the nature of the game. You know, if you're a rising challenger, if you're an inferior power and you can't match your adversary's technology, the next best thing is making them think that you've superseded it.
0: That could be a psychological thing, but if we're working on it, we have probably figured it out. That could, you know, we're always best when, when pushed, Do you think it's possible that everything you concluded would be secret, um, especially with the changes of regimes and leadership that we just witnessed with the change of the president? Do you think are you surprised more people haven't come out and had similar conclusions as yours?
9: I am surprised. I'm disappointed in the media because I think that Senator Rubio was right. He said we can't let the stigma of UFOs stop us from having an honest and important discussion about this issue because something's intruding our airspace. Well, an honest and important discussion means including all of the evidence. And uh, it's not secret. You know, I mean, it is out there. Um, You know, I I found.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we might have lost uh, Jeff Shapiro who uh, wrote this column on UFOs, just, uh, he saw what the government released, and he said, wait a second, I think we're all missing the story. We're saying we don't know, and let's move on. He's saying, wait a second, there's a technology out there and a patent that we sought that had similar technology, and they were holograms. They were, they were a way of projecting the speed, projecting the uh, penetration, but not actually doing it. So while we're pursuing it, he says it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Russians have mastered it. And the Russians, again, he points out, beat us to the space. We got better at it, and we got walked on the moon. They never did, but they did beat us to space. And they do think, he thinks that's a better chance than it is China. I actually don't think, uh, from what you've seen. Uh, Jeff, final thought on this? About you were disappointed in the Russians, excuse me, you were disappointed that we have not pursued it, the journalists have not pursued this more?
9: I am disappointed, Brian, because I'll tell you why. Um, I think it's important to cover all avenues. I think it's important we don't come to any conclusions at this time. I don't want to totally dismiss the possibility of the extraterrestrial angle, but I am concerned that what we could be encountering is a foreign intelligence disinformation campaign to eventually create some kind of confusion or panic. And I think it's important that the media acts responsible here. We don't want to unwittingly or unknowingly aid and abet a foreign power in this disinformation campaign if that's what it turns out to be so we need to be very cognizant of reporting all the facts
0: uh that would be interesting uh to actually get it out there because people seem to have uh kind of lost interest in it and we'll see where it goes it's also no coincidence that these are very sensitive sites you believe correct
9: they are um you know there's a lot of um strange places they've showed up they've showed up in the middle of warplane exercises out in the ocean. And don't forget, Brian, um, that the Russians have a history of a lot of aerial bravado. Not only have they buzzed our warships and warplanes, but they have literally flown their long-range nuclear-capable strategic bombers into America's air defense identification zone, which is like a 50-mile buffer zone. They can legally do that. But it's a real red flag when they do. And they have no qualms about doing it off the coast of California, Alaska, and other areas.
0: All right, Jeff, uh, Jeff Shapiro, thanks so much. Great work. Great. Uh, I look forward to following you with this Cuba situation, too. And we've got to keep the media Absolutely. attention on it. This. this is a rare opportunity to get rid of that regime once and for all.
9: One hundred percent. Let me know anytime, time and uh, we'll talk again.
0: All right. Uh, Jeffrey Scott Shapiro. Appreciate it. So listen, at the top of the hour, I'm going to be able to go on uh, outnumbered and we're going to be talking about a few things that we've been discussing here. But one of them which is also about John Kerry. Uh, John Kerry coming out. It turns out uh, that over the last year he's used private aircraft 16 times, 16 times. What is he doing? He's telling us, as the climate czar, to stop using gasoline engine, combustion engines in cars. And he's flying around with jet fuel. In a private plane, please don't tell me that it's uh, it's another example of hypocrisy and uh, the rules don't account for me because my wife's rich and I'm tall with a big head. Makes no sense. So we'll follow that story. Also, we're going to continue to follow what's happening with Governor Cuomo, and uh, that'll probably be uh, one of the leads. Um, we have also discussed this hour what's happening with uh, the— uh, what's happening with— The Origins of the Coronavirus with Josh Rogan. I encourage you to get that book. And also, it's also important for you to know that there's a chance to see me and Dana on stage in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Just go to BrianKilmead.com. We're going to talk about her great political career. We're going to talk about her use on The Five, co-hosting with Bill Hammer, everything she experienced with President George W. Bush, as well as the great advice that she gives and mentors so many here, especially for young women uh, and emerging uh, uh, men out there In their 20s and 30s She wrote a book about it Everything's going to be okay And I'll be able to go over my history books From Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates To Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers To Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans And George Washington, Secret Six And my new one, President, the Freedom Fighter uh, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass And their battle to save America's soul So keep it here, when we come back We're going to find out if there's indeed need to know more And then watch me at the top of the hour On Fox News Channel On Outnumbered This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move.
1: Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: Welcome back, everyone. I'm just looking at my watch. I think it's time to see if you want to know more.
1: More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. I had
0: no idea about this. The number of twins in the world likely to be an all-time high. The U.S. has increased by more than 70% over the last three decades of twins. That, according to a new research, I'm glad glad we're not wasting any money. They looked into that from uh, fertility treatments is one of the reasons. Older moms, another one. Around 1.6 million twins are born worldwide every year. That means one in every 42 born is a twin. Is that good news or bad news, Allison?
11: I think it's interesting news for sure. But I'll say this. This is, I feel like, a great example of how, like, you know, you can twist numbers. Like, two years ago, there was a study that, um, for the first time ever, twin birth rates were declining by 4% because that was when they did it from 2014 to 2018, and this one is from 2010 to 2015 compared to the 80s. So, anyway... Just numbers. Can, you can make them say whatever you want them to say.
0: And Allison, of course, has twins, and you like them both?
11: Most times, yes. Equally? Yes. Most right. of the time.
0: They're, they're listening. Keep in mind. They are. All right. Next, Bill Gates says divorce from Melinda, a very sad milestone. Uh, and the Jeffrey Epstein, that whole meeting he had with that multi-billionaire, corrupt individual who killed himself, not good.
6: Definitely a very sad milestone. And Melinda's a great person, and uh, that partnership that we had coming to an end is a, a source of, of great personal sadness.
0: Okay. Uh, he said he had several dinners with Epstein, uh, hoping that he would say, talk about the billions of philanthropy of global health through contacts he had uh, might emerge. When it looked like they weren't emerging, the relationship ended. I sense there was much more to that than that.
11: Yes, probably. But also, who would really say, like, publicly, this was the best move I made. Thank goodness for this divorce. She was awful. I mean, right. You can't say that.
0: I know. And he says they're still working together on the foundation. We'll see what happens. Yep. It's so weird with Bezos and then Gates right after another, right? Yep. Next. United States wrestler Tamara Mensah Stock made history by winning a gold medal at the Tokyo Games and now could be setting her sights on the WWE ring.
4: And get this. She's happy to be an American. I've been watching you wrestle. Yep, there you go. That was the left, too. Uh, I've been watching you wrestle do you think you could do WWE? I want to. What? Really? Yeah. Who told Vince McMahon, no, no, I hope no. you're listening. A, Come on. I am a wrestling fan. I've been a wrestling yeah. fan since I was a kid. I grew up on the old wow. school WWF, then yeah. it turned into WWE. Yeah. A huge fan. And I'm sitting there watching. I'm going, I think not only do you have the moves, but you have the personality. I'm like, <laughs> well, I think you well, that could be a WWE superstar. into uh, stock
0: uh, looking to follow in the footsteps of Kurt Angle. And uh Chad Gable as well as Ronda Rousey. We'll see how that goes. Meanwhile, uh Triple H said congratulations on the history making gold medal at the Tokyo Games. The door is open to WWE. Triple H is a former wrestler, married into the family, and is now a WWE executive. Next. A whopping forty percent of Americans think they could compete in the Olympics. (laughs) They they surveyed a thousand people. Four out of ten said they could actually do it. That includes three times as many men as women, half of all respondents from the Northeast, and almost 70% of those under
11: the age of 35. Do you think you could have competed in the Olympics? No, absolutely not. I saw someone post basically saying for every Olympic sport, you ha- should have some average Joe doing that activity next to them to realize how incredible those athletes are.
0: See, to me, it's not about the the the, the men's basketball team or the women's soccer team. They get enough glory. I like the diving. The volleyball, the shot put, the javelin, all those people work just as hard. They get no acclaim, very little money, and this is their moment. That's why I feel so bad with no crowds and, and really no hoopla. Remember,
11: I mean, viewership is down considerably, almost 50%. Because it's brutal watch, but I, that's why— It you is know, a brutal
0: watch. There's no features. We don't know anything about anybody. No, and they just show you the
11: American athletes. You can't see the whole event. And even when you watch it live They throw in so many ads It's annoying But t- to the previous story That's why Tamara is so Like viral Her energy is infectious You don't know who she was She was so happy Just to win the gold medal In wrestling
0: I know And it's, it's so true Next Target Oh sadly But this is good news If you work at Target They're trying to get more workers there They'll pay 100% of college tuition And textbooks In a bid to attract workers Imagine a full
11: scholarship Just to work Where you earn money anyway How great is that it's, Hopefully it gets them To attract great employees
0: Hey, listen, I decided I'm going to be on Outnumbered. I decided to play the man. uh, And I'll be on Outnumbered right at 12 o'clock until 1. Meet me there.
7: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.